Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm Dr. Richard Bolzakelli, lecturer in theology at Catholic Studies Academy, in for Jason Gale. And I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. And today we'll be talking about the political responsibility of Christians. Now, before we get started, don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and select notifications. And of course, share this content with your friends. Now, Dr. Smith, why don't you get us started? The political responsibility of Christians. Is there one? (laughs) Uh, Yes, there is. Yes, yeah, yeah. Podcast over. Uh, <laughs> yes, there is a, there a response. Uh, uh, Christians do have a political responsibility. It's really interesting, you know, that that question would even sort of arise, right, in some ways. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, this comes from all different angles. One, you know, um, there are Christians who are very politically motivated, who are um, conservative, and those are the people who are usually sort of picked out as as being um, involved in being Christian and involved in politics, but it's also true on the progressive side, right? Progressive Christians uh, tend to be um, uh, very politically active as well, which is in the other direction, right? So we have, you know, uh, both, I think on the left and the right, politically active uh, people who are, or self-identify as Christian in some sense or the other. There's another interesting sort of tradition, right? which would be kind of the Anabaptist uh, sort of tradition, right? That sort of wants to reject politics altogether as unworthy of Christians, right? So that's a, yeah, yeah. another sort of, and, you know, very few people are card-carrying Anabaptists today, but there is that strain, right? Where you just sort of say, like, you know, politics is kind of outside of or beneath Christian faith, or I just don't, like, I don't want to have anything to do with it, right? There's something, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess Stanley Herwas would probably be the strongest representative of that in a contemporary theological setting, right? Where you just sort of say, you know, we, we just we want to, Christians should just step out of the political as much as possible, right? Yeah. So in the weakest, in the weakest um, sort of manifestation of this attitude, Right. I would say Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have the you have the people who say, well, it's all corrupt. Right. Right. Every everybody's uh, in it for themselves, blah, blah, blah. And so I don't want to have anything to do with it. But that's the same excuse given by completely secular people who have no they have no um, religious or moral commitments, really. You know, they just Mm -hmm. they just see it as as a. So what's a what's a genuinely Christian response Mm -hmm. that could be given that, that might actually land in that place? Well, right place, yeah. I think. Well, let's say in in that particular place, which I don't think is the right place. Okay, okay. Um, I think one might appeal to some of the fathers of the church for okay. that. Right? They might go back to the early fathers who basically told Christians to have nothing to do with anything going on in the Roman Empire. Um, and and I, but but I think the scenario is arguably very different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe someday um, it wouldn't be different, right? I could, mm-hmm. there probably are countries, I think there are probably places in the world now that where, where this criticism would still be valid, right? But at the time, of course, Christianity wasn't a legal religion, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the Roman Empire was doing things actively that were pretty evil. Sure. Um, and so Christians were seen as being implicated in those actions if they should get involved in politics. And certainly 
Um, the situation was also different in that, you know, we didn't go to the voting booth, right? There were, back in ancient Rome, it wasn't like people just went to the voting booth. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different, yeah. A significantly different uh, situation. So I, I think you know, that kind of an appeal is, is going to be harder to defend today, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think really the, the question then pushes towards, okay, well, it's, you know, moving away from maybe the circumstantial, right. Uh-huh. Uh, to the, you know, sort of in itself, um, which is applicable, uh, I, th- I think today, which is that I think the, the position you want to end up in is neither rejecting politics altogether, nor um, a conflating politics and religion. Yeah. Right. right. And so the, what I want to do is say that put positively that, you know, Christian faith and politics, that these things are really distinct, but they're also really related, <laughs> which yeah, is, right. is maybe sounds a little paradoxical first, but there's, there's some tension there, but I think both sides of that really have to be held in order to have kind of a authentic view of um, the responsibility of a Christian towards uh, the political community. Yeah, so I I would agree with that. And I think, you know, in the course of my career at various conferences and things, I've uh, I've written on this kind of thing, I've presented on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to say that it's not it's not an easy question to answer. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. How that balance is struck. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because on the one hand, right, Christianity has a clearly hierarchical view of reality. Mm hmm in which the things of heaven are the most important. And in this world, the church speaks uh, for that concern, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And has a sort of juridical, uh, a juridical authority over, uh, over the governance of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's superior to the secular sphere, right, mm-hmm. the implication would seem to be that the secular sphere should fall, the secular sphere should, should fall under the governance of the church. And that would lead you to um, that would lead you to a theocratic position, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been tried in the past, but um, it hasn't always worked out the way we'd wanted. <laughs> right, right. And actually, I would even say that, strictly speaking, um, uh, I might want to distinguish between a confessional state and a straight theocracy, yeah. um, because often, you know, even in its strongest forms, whether in Eastern Orthodoxy or, or Christian Western Christianity. You know, there's usually that, like uh, in the East, they talk about sort of a symphony, right, or a kind of a kind of a orchestra, right, where there's a uh-huh. kind of orchestration between the the Christian prince and the church. Uh, and in the West, you know, I mean, the usually, right, even the strongest forms of um, the relatively strongest forms of uh, of you know uh, church. Um, involvement, right, in politics still leaves the temporal authority in place, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that the temporal authority needs to obey, right, the uh, ecclesial authority, right? Right. Um, so, you know, th- those would be sort of the stronger positions, uh, I yeah. think, that have been held. I think there's reasons to maybe be um, skeptical of those stronger positions, although, again, you know, I, I think a lot of this the application of the ideas is very circumstantial to history, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when you're dealing with ancient regimes in the past, right. You, you have to be a little bit circumspect 
I think, in your evaluation of them, because you have to think about the kinds of societies that they were operating in, yeah. the kind of threats that they faced, um, that sort of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, we, one of the problems we have is that, um, you know, the contemporary secular representative democracy, right, mm-hmm. this kind of republic that we have in the United States is historically a relatively new thing. Sure. And, and when the, you know, when it came around, right, the church was actually, they didn't really know what to do about it. They didn't know what to, mm-hmm. what to make of it. <laughs> right. And, um, and they were pretty negative on mm-hmm. it, right. For a while. Sure. Um, also it rose up in relation to many other secular political regimes mm-hmm. that ended in very in sort of different places than we did right for mm-hmm. example the the french revolution ended very very badly sure um and it was extraordinarily hostile to ecclesial authority mm-hmm. whereas in the united states we had the first amendment there was mm-hmm. there was room for the church to continue to operate in some way right sure um so that you know the kinds of statements you see say in the in the late 18th century, the early 19th century, mm-hmm. um, about secular democracy, right? They have to be understood in terms of you know the church in its in that in the uniqueness of that historical period, trying right. to wrestle with new forms of government that it hadn't seen before. Sure, and squaring it with what had always been understood about the relationship between politics and faith. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's complicated. Sure. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I guess, I guess I, I want to say um, maybe like we can establish some principles, I think. Right. Yeah. I think a framework. Them, yeah. Try to apply them to whatever framework we're in. But mm-hmm. I think often Americans, when they're involved in this kind of discussion, they lose sight of mm-hmm. um, the fact that we need to actually talk about how to how to relate religion and politics faith our faith commitment and our political obligations mm-hmm. um to the to the political structure of the society we're actually in that's right yeah that's right yeah i agree 100 i mean that's you know our actual this is one thing that's always funny c.s lewis is really good on this right is that our actual duties are always concrete. Right? Yeah, right, right. We tend to sort of fantasize about our moral commitments to things that actually have very little to do with us, you know, and, and put a lot of stock in that. Um, whereas, you know, our actual obligations, right, the things that make us good or evil in terms of our moral lives are almost always concrete. You know, it's, it's you know, yeah, what right. am I doing for my children in this time? What am I doing for my state in this time? That kind of thing. Right, but I think, right. you know, if you're wanting a, um, but still you do need sort of like a, a principled framework as you were alluding to. And I think that's where you kind of, one way of hashing that out is to say that they're really distinct and really related. So in what ways are they really distinct? And I think this is important, right? Because we do, oh. we, you know, um, we do need to recognize, uh, I think a real and deep distinction between the two. Um, there is a, I think, rather dangerous impetus especially in modern man to expect too much of politics 
and to you know what in the past you know sometimes talk people talked about imitizing the eschaton right yeah uh which i think is a is a phrase that's still uh worthy here so i think there's two ways in which we can clearly see a distinction one is teleological and the other is foundational Mm -hmm. so uh, in terms of teleology right so teleology is just about the end the purpose right um the the purpose right of the church um I mean, you could put this in a variety of different ways, but the church, you know, is oriented towards the ultimate end of the human person, mm-hmm. whereas the political community is just, it might be oriented indirectly or secondarily, right? But in, in truth, the political community is just not sufficient to the task, right? The political community is really ordered towards what I would call, um, you know, uh, man's imperfect end. Now, let me just put in a qualification real quick here before anybody gets confused. I'm not saying there are two ultimate ends. <laughs> That's a controversy for another day. Okay. I, I think the ultimate end is eternal beatitude and the kingdom of God, but we can still talk about ends that are nestled underneath that end. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be the kind of end that the political community uh, pursues, which is primarily in, um, um, concerned with, I, w- I would call a acquired, active happiness right Mm -hmm. Uh, as distinct from the perfect uh beatitude of the kingdom of god um those are two different ends right does that make sense rich yeah it it does to me it Mm -hmm. does to me i i think um and that sounds right to me right on a Mm -hmm. on sort of a traditional catholic anthropology okay um i would say that sounds right i know there is disagreement within the church about certain things here but Mm -hmm. um but i think if you just look at it like if we sort of extrapolate from the things that we say dogmatically, right? Mm-hmm. What is man's ultimate end? Right. The attitude, right? Right. It's sure. To be with God in heaven. That's right. Um, what is the end of politics? Well, I mean, at a practical <laughs> level, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's yeah. concerned with the things of this world. Absolutely. It's not the yeah. cause of your salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It may be instrumental in yeah. that it could sort of establish and protect an arena within which it's possible for you to work out your salvation. Sure. Um, it, it could make room for the gospel to flourish. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's good. Right. But it's purely instrumental. It's not right. It's not causal. That's right. Yeah. I mean, just think about it this way. Like, I mean, do you really think that the president and the Congress right, are the people that are primarily responsible for your uh, eternal beatitude? I should hope that that is not. <laughs> That's right. I should hope not. Right. Um, I mean, there, these are and I think this is a really a per se distinction. Right. Um, you know, uh, political communities existed before Christianity and um, they, they were still political communities. Um and that's because they could be ordered towards this kind of lower end, right? Um, that is a, a is a real good. Acquired active happiness just means um, kind of a just um, a just development of temporal goods and just exchange of temporal goods. Thomas is actually Thomas Aquinas is very clear on this. He says you know, bodily goods, temporal huh. goods, right? He's wanting to make clear, right? That this is a, you know, there are certain kinds of goods and they're real goods, right? That politics is concerned with, but they are lower level goods, uh, distinguished from um, the the ultimate and perfect good, right? Yeah. So uh, that is eternal beatitude. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Um, it's important to distinguish a higher to distinguish a hierarchy of goods. Mm-hmm. 
And I think until very recently, it was easy for people to do that. I mean, mm -hmm. even some more secular people clearly recognized that certain goods sure. were, were more important than other goods. Mm -hmm. uh, goods of the mind, right, right, were usually considered better than goods of, of the body or more significant, mm -hmm. right? It's better right. to flourish than just to survive. Sure. Um, of course, in Christianity, right, we ratchet that distinction up significantly because we're talking about eternal right. gratitude. Yeah, right, 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 um, right. So it's important to distinguish, but it, it's very interesting to me, though, that where I observe many Christians going off the rails today mm -hmm. is that they prioritize the secular temporal goods, right, the bodily goods over the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. argument for this is usually given like, um, well... You know, you can't you can't preach on an empty stomach or something. You can't preach to somebody on an empty stomach. Um, I mean, maybe, mm -hmm. but at a practical level, what this ultimately means for many, not all, is that they pay very little concern, right? They pay very little attention to the to the real goods of the church and in the name of their Christian vocation, mm -hmm. simply become essentially um, social workers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that's almost, you know, that's, um, that's a problem, not so much with political order, right, as catechesis and preaching and, you know, um, the, the theology, through the practice of theology uh, within the church, right? I mean, yeah. that's, you know, or, or even if you want to include, you know, ecclesial communities and, uh, outside of the Catholic Church, I mean, that's something where you say, well, wait a second, you you kind of have messed up your order here, right? You've made a, a mistake in terms of prioritization. Mm -hmm. um, these things are not exclusive, of course, mutually exclusive. One can, of course, and should um, care for the poor, right? Um, feed the hungry, clothe the naked. That's not an antithesis to preaching the gospel and adoring God. But certainly, I think you would want to say there's a prioritization there, right? That is, you know, we're going toward, I mean, you know, the worship, right, in church is the source and summit of Christian life, right? But we're going towards that, right, uh, yeah. ultimately, right? I mean, in the kingdom of God, there will be no uh, naked or poor, right? Um, that's the, the, that's the essential, right, um, mm -hmm. hierarchical sort of good that Christianity uh, is to be pursuing. Yeah. So this is part of the tension, right? Where, um, you know, Christ says, the poor you will always have with you. Mm -hmm. And um, and he says this in response, right, to this to this idea that we should, um, you know, we should use this this revenue here to take care of the poor, right? This, mm -hmm. po this, this uh, possible revenue to make, to take care of the poor. Mm -hmm. The poor you will always have with you. Right. And, and, um, you know, you might hear that as really sort of a dismissive thing that mm -hmm. you shouldn't care for the poor, the poor don't matter. Mm -hmm. But I, don't, I think that's a misinterpretation. Mm -hmm. I think what it's saying is you can't expect that in this world, fallen as it is, right, until all things come to completion, right, that the problems that you face, <laughs> the problems with which politics deals will mm -hmm. never really go away. Sure. Yeah. We can kind of make them better. Uh -huh. to make them worse that's right we can mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, right we can take sure. the edges off of things sure. but um but they're always going to be there mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the things there was, again, you see, though, very easily, there's a category mistake. You're you're speaking, uh, I think, from a kind of a, a realist, right, sort of perspective, mm-hmm. uh, one that's realist, both, I think, from perspective of political philosophy, but also uh, theologically realist. Um, I think that a lot of people find that very hard to accept uh, and, uh, and, that, and and instead need to feel the need to imitate the eschaton there, right? To, to think of this world as if it were limitless, right? To think of this world as if we have an infinite amount of goods, right? Uh, that sort of thing. We don't, right? Like this world has its limitations, right? This world will always have its limitations and corruptions and those things cannot be, that cannot be eliminated, right? The, yeah. you know, without eliminating humanity, as I put it, right? Without eliminating fallen humanity altogether, right? I mean, eventually we shall enter the eschaton, right? And the sheep and the goats will be separated in such a way that we can experience, we can expect an experience without limitation or corruption, right? Um, but that's not this life, right? That's not this fallen world in which politics operates. And I'd even go a little bit further and say, in terms of our care for the poor, there's a real distinction between what's due to the poor in with respect to justice and what is uh, praiseworthy to give to the poor out of charity, right? Mm-hmm. And I think very often we kind of conflate those two and really I should even probably use the term charity, but I'll just leave it there. Um, the, um, you know, Christians should go above and beyond justice with respect to their care for the poor. Um, but that's not politics, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Politics isn't charity. And I know I'm kind of, pushing here a little bit uh, where some kind of recent Catholic theology has gone. But I, I think that, um, that that's a, it's a mistake to conflate justice and charity. Um, yeah. I think they're distinct virtues. And when we conflate them, we only lead to problems. So, okay. I agree with this. And here's the way I would sort of explain it. Okay. Do you have an obligation to charity? I would say the answer to that question is yes, but that obligation is not an obligation of the political order. Mm -hmm. It's an obligation of the moral order. And you're in, in that case, um, the person to whom you're doing justice in charity is God, not the poor. Mm -hmm. Do you follow what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. You owe to God this response to Mm him. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I think it seems to sure. me, yeah. right? You owe to God this response to Him, mm-hmm. um, but that's but that's between. That's one of those things that really I think we can say is between you and God. Yeah, it's not between you and the state. Sure, and it's a and and then and then your beneficence right to the poor is an overflow right of that love that you have for God, right? Yeah, um, He's benefiting because I have this relationship with God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, but the, so that's different than a debitum, I would say, in the political order. In the um, political order, yeah. You know, so again, my, I'm saying you do have a debitum, but it's a debitum to God. Mm-hmm, sure. Right. Sure. It's, Out of love. I, I think that that's an important distinction to make, yeah, right? Sure. Who do I really owe in this case? Yeah. Yeah. And on what basis, right? So mm-hmm. I think the debitum uh, in the political order, right, is based on. Um, nature and acquired rights um you know that are so enforcing charity would be outside the outside the uh, sphere right of its proper authority 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the supernatural character, right. Uh, of what you're talking about in terms of eternal beatitude, this, you know, the political community is just not apt um, to that uh, end. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's apt to really the temporal goods, right. Just as, you know, Thomas says, you know, adjust, um, adjust exchange development and distribution of temporal goods. Um now that doesn't mean not moral. It's still moral, right? In the sense that justice is a moral virtue, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there is morality involved. It's just not the specifically the the specific morality of say the theological virtues, right? It's the it's the morality of the acquired virtues, um, which is an, an imperfect kind of morality, um, but still a real kind of morality, right? That's the kind of thing you have to do if you're going to be, I think serious about these issues and from a philosophical perspective, and I'm sure from theology too, is you have to keep making that distinction imperfect, but real, right? You know, yeah, that right. kind of thing, you know, it's, uh, I'm not saying that the, the justice, obviously, I, I hope, obviously justice is very important and it's not strictly speaking a theological virtue either. Right. Uh, we can, we can make those uh, sorts of um, distinctions. So it is a kind of morality, right? In fact, um, it's very common that a lot of the theologians and doctors uh, picked up on the language of the civic virtues, mm -hmm. right. And respond in, in classifying the, the moral virtues, the cardinal virtues, I should say. Uh, so that uh, all of the cardinal virtues, um, they help us with temporal life, right. They help us to live in a way yeah. uh, that's just and virtuous in our temp, uh, in our handling of temporal goods. You think about um, um, uh, temperance, Right. Temperance is primarily about pleasures of bodily goods. Right. You know, and, you know, kind of dealing with desires and all that sort of thing. I have the sense that temperance is not going to be terribly important in the kingdom of God. Right. You know, like in, in the final eschaton, does, does that make sense? Whereas charity will. Right. I mean, even faith and hope pass yeah. away, Paul tells right, us. Right. 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 You know, um, so these are different levels, right, of, of virtue um, that are, are being dealt with. I think the other really clear way of distinguishing between the political realm and the um, and the church is to distinguish in terms of the basis, right? So the foundation, right, of Christian faith is supernatural revelation, mm -hmm. right? Um, the supernatural revelation of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, also supernatural revelation that we get, you know, sort of in sacred scripture, et cetera. Um, whereas that's not the basis of political community. Now, certainly political community can, I think benefit from divine revelation, maybe indirectly, but the um, the basis uh, for political community is really natural law, which is at least something in principle that can be known more or less um, through the light of natural reason. Um, so I think those are important differences, and I think you know, well, anyways, does that distinction make sense? It makes yeah, I think it does make sense, um, and. I think it makes sense, right? And um, there's there's more to talk about there, but I, I think you just mentioned natural law. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, um, one of the problems with natural law, right, is that in the fallen world, so if, if, we're, if we're making a theological response to this issue, right, mm -hmm. fallenness is a real thing. Sure. Um, in the fallen world, our intellects are darkened and our wills are disordered, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's true of, you know, like, not the Virgin Mary, mm -hmm. but you and me, right? <laughs> sure. And everybody else you and I know. Uh -huh. um, that's true of us, okay? And 
that means that um, our ability to sort of discern what it is that the natural law demands concretely in particular situations mm-hmm. is, um, is going to be more obscure to some people than it is to others. Sure. And it also means that without the sort of clarifying, without the clarifying um, benefit of divine revelation, mm-hmm. many people will be sort of hopelessly uh, unable to, to, mm-hmm. to really see the demands of natural law clearly. Sure. At least in, you know, uh, around the edges, right? So everyone recognizes, for example, culturally speaking, that that the arena of um, human sexuality and um, prop- and, and sort of um, <clears throat> you know the propagation of offspring is is an arena in which there are moral boundaries, right? Sure. Everyone recognizes that. Mm-hmm. But what we don't share cross culturally is the details, right? Okay. So um, how many spouses can you have? <laughs> uh-huh. um, right sure that sort of thing so how do we this my question is um how do we then adjudicate the relationship between religion and politics when it comes to the application of the natural law Mm -hmm. in legislation well yeah i mean i think we're in an advantageous spot because we don't have to be in the spot of rome and ancient greece right i mean we have had the light of the gospel um showed right mm-hmm. forth in west in the history of western civilization um so i think you can that gives us an advantageous position to be in actually right uh in terms of the natural law um i i think that gives a space where we can still use natural law as a measure and an appeal, right, to those who might not share divine law with us, right, the new, uh, especially in the terms of the New Testament. Um, but that can still be uh, something to hold them to account, right? Mm-hmm. That is something that their reason should allow them to see. And I think we can see that, you know, the best of non-Christian culture and thinking usually converges there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at... Um, say, you know, the uh, Roman Stoics or, or people of that nature, right? You can find, you know, um, almost the exact same sexual morality, right? Um, you know, supported by the Roman Stoics as you would find by St. Paul um, and not on the basis of the New Testament, right? Um, so uh, I think, you know, those would, those would be ways in which we could still, still recognizing what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Which is its limitations, uh, the limitations in a fallen world of natural law, uh, but nevertheless, um, that uh, it can still serve as some kind of common basis, imperfect as it is. Yeah. So the reason I raise the question, obviously, right, is that, you know, there's that that objection people make when it comes to legislating on abortion or something, right? Okay. Which I find to be just really weak, mm-hmm. where they say, um, you know, I, I believe that uh, abortion is wrong, but I would never impose my my religious mm-hmm. views on other people. Sure. And, um, and I would argue that that's, it's not really what you have to do in order to legislate on abortion. Sure. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say that abortion is not a religious 
uh, issue. Sure. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Some people would say that it isn't. I would say that it is a religious issue, but it's not only a religious issue. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's clear. It seems to me, obviously, mm -hmm. abortion is um, a, a natural law issue. And sure. I don't. I don't have to be religious to perceive the natural law. Mm -hmm. um, I would say I have to be religious, maybe to perceive the natural law in its fullness. Sure. But I don't have to be religious to perceive it at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we know this because we have pagans in the ancient world, as you pointed out, who, mm -hmm. who did perceive the natural law. Right. Sure. And it is interesting on this point, you know, it's really interesting in America, you know, about this, that, you know, Roe v. Wade happened a good bit, a good long time ago. Right. And, you know, advocates of abortion like to are, claim that it's a matter of settled law, but really it's not. It's been contended ever since it was, yeah, it was uh, never that, yeah i mean it it's, never, it's not like other areas of law where there's a general consensus right uh -huh. there was a change in a general consensus say on uh matters of race for example and Dred scott case and all that sort of thing mm -hmm. this is an area where there's there has been endless contention and i would even say mounting contention to this day yeah um so i think that i mean from a hopeful perspective i, I think of that as a witness of the natural law right um you know, convicting, uh, convicting people as well as, you know, the divine law, uh, even more strongly. Um, in fact, if, if you look at the surveys on the question of abortion, right. Um, it's, what's interesting is if you come away with any conclusion about a consensus, the consensus is that it ought to be restricted. Yeah, that's right. That right. is a consensus position. Yeah. How much is up for debate still a matter of debate yeah. but, that but almost yeah you can get large majorities uh for the last trimester right yeah i you mean get, at the very fact, least in fact i i think if i'm not mistaken right the survey suggests a super majority mm -hmm. uh starting at the second trimester yeah i've heard that too yeah um so yeah so i mean that's where i mean even in this you know fallen world right <laughs> the natural law can still be a prod, you know, um, but I think it's important, right? It, it, in, 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 in thinking about politics and religion, right? Within the church, we have an advantage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, in terms of governing our own lives, right? That we have not just the natural law, but we also have divine law, right? We have the witness of revelation and the example of Jesus Christ. Um, that, you know, elevates, right? Our um, opportunities to live in a morally upright way. Um, and, and, and distinguishes from the natural law. So the natural law is a real basis of morality, I think you're uh, right, but it's also a limited one, especially sort of in a fallen world, right? So again, we have, you know, to put it in terms of lights, right? The church operates according to a brighter and higher light, right, than the political community does, which is not to say on the Anabaptist side that the political community is, has no light, okay? Mm -hmm. it, it has light although it is a limited light, and this is very important, that should help us to um, uh, manage our expectations, right? Yeah, you okay, know. okay, so I agree. We have to manage our expectations, and, and the mm -hmm. failure to do that is actually um, very bad, mm -hmm. both for the church and for the world, it seems Absolutely. to me. Yeah, yeah. I um, think there's an impulse in man towards the infinite and the eternal, right? Um towards the limitless ultimately you know we yeah. would think of that as being an orientation towards god um 
it's a mistake and a tragic mistake to focus that on anything temporal up into and including the political community, right? Um, I mean, this is the kind of mistake that you find in, in German philosophy mm-hmm. working at, you know, through Hegel and Karl Marx, right? Where they, you know, I think that they're right in recognizing both of them, that political community is among the high, very highest temporal goods that we mm-hmm. experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually hard for us to imagine what it would be like not living in a decent temporal community or right? our political community, right? I mean, that, that's just brutish and close to, you know, yeah, close to death at any moment, Right. If you really think about it, um, yeah. But, I mean, there's know. a people aren't meant. Look, the ancient philosophers understood this, right? Theory, right? They <laughs> even worked it into their their definition of the human being. That's right. That's right. right? Yeah. Aristotle says we're a political animal. That's right. Yeah. You think of how little culture we would have if we were just on our own. You know, just in terms of like having the differentiation of labor, allowing some people to be scholars and priests and things like that. I mean, so much of civilization <clears> is <throat> built up right out of. Um, the exigencies of political community at the same time political community is not god it's not it's not the alpha and the omega and you know at the end of the day hegel thinks that the you know the political community fully realized in its rationality is the omega point right Mm -hmm. uh and he's just he's just flat wrong right Right. (laughs) so let me seek that from politics is a big mistake so what i might say is this right um if we really believe in the resurrection of the body Mm-hmm. and and i do mm-hmm. uh i'm i'm pretty sure i've got you on record as believing that too yes i confess it okay. on a regular basis <laughs> on a weekly basis if if we if we um if we really believe in the resurrection of the body then one would imagine mm-hmm. that that upon the parousia right that there would be suddenly perfect justice among men in mm-hmm in the material sphere right 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 right? that that is indeed in some weird and mystical way that we can't yet understand sure part of part of the eschaton yep um i think the mistake we're making right is that somehow we realize that eschaton um through our actions in this world that's right that we're bringing it about right um, by by trying to construct um, a just political order, and eventually we can tweak the machine enough that's right. that we can arrive at that moment. That's right. Yeah. So maybe uh, I think it's absolutely correct. And let me just say, uh, kind of sum up maybe a couple of points we're making here. The so ironically, perhaps it might sound one of the first jobs responsibilities of a Christian in politics, right, is to oppose utopianism of any yeah. sort, right, is to is to insist on recognizing that the eschatological orientation of man is not satisfied and fulfilled within politics, right? Yeah. And that that eschatological hope that we have uh, is not about this world, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's about the kingdom of God. And so any kind of utopian, the, see, you know, I mean, it sounds so Christian to say, I want a world without suffering, right? Yeah. And, and you would say, then you don't want the fallen world. Right. That's like, right. You, 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 like and, as long and, as the fallen world exists, you're going to have suffering. Yeah. So so let me to my Protestant brothers and sisters out there. Right. Let's let's understand that on this point we're 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 definitely on the same page. I know that this is sort sure. of one of those things where Catholics and Protestants sometimes think they're opposed. Mm-hmm. I think we're closer on this than than many have historically imagined. 
Yeah, I think so too. Um, and it really comes to light right here mm-hmm. on this issue. The mistake you're making, if you're thinking that I can tweak the political mm-hmm. environment and the socioeconomic conditions of people, right, or whatever, to to bring about this eschaton, to bring about this world without suffering, mm-hmm. um, that's to think that the solution to our problems actually comes from our own ingenuity, right, right, our right. own work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When in fact, we're hopelessly unable to solve our problems. Right. Right. Again, we can make things better or worse. Sure. We can we can do rough things around the edges, but we can't fundamentally eliminate death. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure. And and look, let's take a look at COVID nineteen. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, we we've eradicated diseases in the past. We have. Mm-hmm. But you get new ones. Right. <laughs> there is no world in which, in the fallen world, there's no future mm. in which there is no disease. Right. I'm sorry. You'll, yeah. You're going to discover new disease. They'll just pop up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> and you're like, darn. <laughs> I thought <laughs> we had this, this problem. No. <laughs> That's right. No. Because it's built in. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 there's a defect. There's a defect in. Mm-hmm. In the structure, right? What what Martin Luther described as a, an arcanum of sin mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's a good phrase. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's on the negative side, right? In terms of the responsibility of Christians, right, is to not make a certain mistake and to oppose a certain kind of error, right? So, let's think about what the responsibility is then. So, yeah, that's right. I want yeah. to come back to the original question. Mm-hmm. Um, is, do Christians have a responsibility in politics. If, mm. if we have the light of the gospel, mm-hmm. if somehow we have a perspective that 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 sort of prelapsarian or uh, not, you know, the uh, that's not what I meant to say. Uh, if we have a um, if if the unregenerate man does mm. not have the perspective, right, that right, 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 then um, do we owe it? Is this an area? Mm-hmm. where we owe the benefit of our insight of our enlightenment as Christians mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the political order. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, to, to the political order, to the economic order, um, for sure. I mean, I, I want to say there's still, even though these communities, even though f- uh, faith and politics, church and state are really distinct, I think they're also really related. Um and one way of stating that would be to sort of speak to the anthropological unity of man. Uh, another way of stating that would be in terms of um, the applicable law, right? So this is a little bit sort of uh, archaic way of talking about it, but I think it's still useful. You know, uh, Thomas Aquinas and others, he's not unique in this, distinguish between, you know, the eternal law, the divine law, the natural law, and the human law, right? There's a lot of law there, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, roughly speaking, divine law is that part of the eternal law that part of the plan of God in his own mind and will um, that's been revealed to us, right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, supernatural revelation, that divine law includes different kinds of laws, right. So you could talk about the ceremonial law, judicial law. These are very standard kind of scholastic distinctions. Um, uh, we could also talk about the new law. Sometimes that gets left out, right. The law of mm-hmm. grace, interestingly, mm-hmm. right? it's, it's an important one. Um, but then there's also the moral law, right? 
And that moral law, we could just say, roughly speaking, is summed up in the Ten Commandments. Just more to say than that, but that's you know, roughly speaking, summed up in the Ten Commandments. And that is, uh, and this is interesting because this is an ecumenical view for probably the first hundred, hundred and fifty years, two hundred years after the Reformation, um, that the natural law and the moral law are really the same. That is, that the Ten Commandments, with the exception of the Sabbath uh, keeping, right, are really all things that we should know through the light of natural reason, right? Yeah. Uh, it's really right. interesting. I was just thinking about this the other day. I was teaching um, this little, uh, uh, the, the, the play by Aristophanes, The Clouds, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a comedy, right? Um, but in there, there's a whole sort of section on the respect of uh, respecting your mother and your father, right? And I was just thinking like, yeah, like even, I mean, obviously there's a lot of problems with ancient Greek culture for sure, <laughs> but even there, right? Yeah. Like this shines through. You must honor your father and your mother, right? I mean, it's probably, mm-hmm. it's probably, one of the honoring your parents is probably one of the most universal precepts, uh, moral precepts you could find. You can find it in Confucianism, Shintoism, Hinduism. I mean, it's, just, it's yeah. everywhere, right? Oh yeah, it, and because because it's um, it's so fundamental to the functioning of any society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. And interestingly. It's heavily under attack today. <laughs> That's right. In the West. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, um, trying to get rid of parents is a, is ultimately an act of impiety, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in sort of deep structural ways. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, sort of positively speaking about political responsibility, that's where our political responsibility lies pri- primarily, right? That is in advocating with this light, you know, as, as we've talked about, a, a brighter, better light. Uh, on the natural law and the moral law that we get through revelation advocating for um, uh, the basic precepts of the natural law. Right. Okay. So, you know, so and I, and to, and to put that very succinctly, the 10 commandments. Yeah. Right. Uh, as, as well as you can, that brings up some interesting questions, but uh, yeah, I have some practical Rich. questions to follow. Okay. Up okay go All ahead. right. So the voter, mm-hmm. um, does he vote? in accord with this or is he restricted only to sort of sort of uh persuasion Mm -hmm. yeah so he has to follow of course uh, a politician a voter especially in our own sort of setting has to vote in a way that's in accordance with the ten commandments uh has to vote in a way that's in accordance with the natural law so cannot vote in favor you would say Mm -hmm. i think right i don't want to quote you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You would say that um, when you go to the voting booth, you cannot morally cast a vote for a policy or an agenda mm-hmm. that is irreconcilable in principle with the moral law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was just, yep, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, I All think right. that I just, follows from from you know the obligations of the mm-hmm. natural law. Uh, you know, the, the basis, you know, the ba- most basic presupposition of being virtuous, right. Is you do good and avoid evil. Right. Right. And, and so, right. you know, yeah. So you gotta do that. now, obviously this is exactly that spot where people say, we all agree. Now they don't all agree, but, mm-hmm. but many people will, will say, we all agree that that's true. But, um, but what if you have, you know, evils in both choices or something? Mm-hmm. then i mean i i kind of know what the answer is right mm. the first thing you do is ask do, are we talking about per se moral evils or mm. um 
moral evils peroxidens. And that's a distinction that many people today don't recognize. Unfortunately, sure. it's probably a conversation for another, <laughs> for another podcast. Sure, but, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, but I think, uh, so when you come up against this question, there are going to be some practical responses. What happens, though, if you have a case where genuinely you have um, two competing choices, right, at the voting booth, both of which are committed to per se moral evils? What does the Christian do then? Yeah, I mean, if they're both sides are committed to per se moral evils, uh, that would be quite difficult. I think um, there, you know, you end up um, going for the one that's going to allow for the best good, I guess, uh -huh. you know, the most good under the circumstances. Um, you know, that's kind of brings in questions about... Um, um oh uh, outside of intention right yeah. uh you know that that sort of thing um you know what is it uh you're intending there uh i mean so you would have could, to not intend to advance the agenda that's right yeah, yeah right you would um, have to intend to mitigate the other agenda or something that's right yeah this is, a, this is what we call like principal double effect right yeah right and and so i think here what you have to deal with is you know, maybe I'm stopping this greater evil, mm -hmm. right, by voting for this candidate who is good insofar as he's stopping this greater evil. You're not choosing the lesser evil. That's important, right? You're choosing the good that's there without intending the other consequence, right, that's going to flow from it, right? Yeah. But I think that's in a very strange set of circumstances where you, everything's piled up equally in terms of per se evils. Um, do, do you see what I'm saying? I, I do see what you're saying. Um, I think a lot of people, Catholics, go to the voting booth, though, thinking that that's the choice they have in front of them. I mean, so if you just run through sort of like basic commandments here, right? Honor the father and mother, uh, you know, don't commit murder, don't covet another's goods, right? Don't covet, you know, I mean, those sorts of things, right? Yeah. Um, like, um, really, we're talking about a small kind of uh, not a wide range of issues here. Right. Mm -hmm. in, in some ways, I mean, obviously this, when you get down to details, then policies run fairly wild, but you have to sort of think, you know, what is the purpose of this? Is where you, I think you kind of move a little bit more back to questions about political community. What is the purpose of government? Mm -hmm. What is it that we're trying to achieve? We could say the common good, and that's a correct answer, but then you need to say more. Uh, I think what you need to say ultimately is that what we're trying to achieve with uh, human law, right, um, is the just development, exchange, distribution of temporal goods. Um, and then that requires and, you to think about justice. And would you say between particular persons or universally? Oh, I mean, of this community. Yeah, of this yeah. community. That's yeah, that's sure. an important thing I sure. think, that, that often yeah. gets lost today. Yeah, I mean, I don't have political obligations to non-citizens. Yeah, I might have other that's, obligations. That's an issue that today <laughs> is, is very, it, I mean, it, it's it's obscured. Sure, it is. Right? It's, it's obscured. A, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. But I think one thing you could say is, and this is interesting because 
oddly enough, you know, the scholastics were really the medieval class. We tend to think about medieval governments as being kind of totalitarian. The truth is is often much to the contrary, right? You know, the medieval you know theologians talked about you know uh, that unjust taxation is theft, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and that a monarch could be disposed for it, right. Yeah. Um, you know, that uh, and by unjust taxation, any taxation that goes beyond what's just necessary, right, uh, for defending the common good, um, you know, uh, debasing the currency, right, yeah. was considered a form of theft, right? Um, so it's I an think, abuse you know, of office and yeah, yeah, you can so be think, sort of removed. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, actually, you find in the medieval theologians uh, reasons for deposing a monarch. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, absolute absolutism is a kind of late Renaissance, early enlightenment form of thinking. Right. Um, so I guess saying that, I think we need to think about what's government is for. Right. Not what every good thing is for, but what government is for. Right. And right I think we right. tend to think something's right. good. So the government should do it. That's not not the case. Right. The government yes. isn't there to do every good thing. It's there to do justice. Yeah. In fact, um, you're here to do <laughs> many That's of those right. good things right, That's right. you That's right. personally right. Right. right we as a, a sort of non-governmental institution mm-hmm. or or a, a mediating institution mm-hmm. right the, the the local church or something sure yeah we so i bring here. that yeah we do those things that's our obligation that's right absolutely and i bring that up rich just to say i think sometimes people are confused about the options because they think the government should be doing certain things that not it shouldn't necessarily be doing. Because it's a thing me? that should be done. Right. It's assumed that it's government that should do it. And right. that's that's a clearly a category mistake. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So they're not doing that thing. Therefore, it's evil. Right. Uh, et cetera. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think, again, if you think about the Ten Commandments, you know, certainly we have an obligation to worship God. So if, you know, if somebody's keeping us from worshiping God, that's a per se evil. Right. Yeah. Um, certainly we have an obligation not to directly intentionally kill the innocent. So if somebody, if, if that's going on, that should be stopped. Right. Yes. Um, we have an obligation not to covet or to steal. Right. So all mm-hmm. stealing, right. Should be stopped. Uh, so I think the issues we need to be concerned about for politics, right. As Christians, there are issues but I think there may be a little bit narrower than, than maybe we we've thought, you know, we need to uphold property rights because stealing is contrary to the divine law, a contrary to moral law, natural law. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to insist on our uh, liberty to worship God um, because we're obligated to worship God. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to um, insist on that. This would be a little more controversial, Right. Uh, but we need to insist on, at the very least, um, trying to reform our divorce situation. Do you know what I'm saying? I think at the very least, you know, some sort of yeah. movement in the direction right. away from no-fault divorce, you know? Yeah. Um, because, uh, the, you know, because marriage and family are so essential to the flourishing of a that's right. Of a civil society. That's right. We should there be are uphold- clearly religious uh, concerns as well. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. But everyone recognized in the past, pagan right. or Christian, mm-hmm. that the the family from which children are born, right, is mm-hmm. an essential part of society. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think uh, you know, um, 
you can't follow the commandment to honor your mother and your father unless you have a mother and father, right? You have a traditional family structure, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. I mean, obviously society needs to be interested in defending traditional family, <clears throat> especially needs to be interested. I think a Christian should be especially interested in um, guarding parental rights. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that's right. an area of really deep concern, <clears throat> right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the, the situation we live in here. I think thankfully in America, we probably have it better off than in most other countries, uh, to be frank, uh, and the, at least in the uh, kind of, advanced world or however you want to call it first world. Um, but uh, uh, still that's an area I think of, uh, of concern that includes, right. You know, the, the freedom to, to educate your children, your child at home. Right. Uh, those sorts of things or in the way that you discern, whichever way you discern. That's right. To yeah. be the best way. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that you make that decision. Right. So I think that um, <clears throat> as a parent, um, those are the kinds of things that, you know, that seem to me, evident in the moral law, mm-hmm. right? Again, I'm just going through the 10 commandments. I'm not even trying to get real complicated here, right? Just looking at the 10 commandments, right? As a, as an apt summary. And this is, you know, very, uh, I think keeping with the Catholic catechetical tradition, right? Of when we think about, you know, morality and the catechesis, right? We often work through the 10 commandments um, that uh, that's where our responsibility lies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is in upholding <clears throat> that moral law um, in society. Um, when we do that, I think we're being responsible and we're helping our fellow citizens and we're being just, and we're being good citizens. One other just aspect, you know, that, that commandment to honor that father and their mother is usually interpreted, of course. And again, this is very broadly, um, honoring authorities in general, mm-hmm. um, and honoring your patria as part of that. There's sort of this, uh, right now, a lot of hand wringing about the relationship between patriotism and, and religion, right. And the, the apparent threat of Christian nationalism, whatever that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Be. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, right. I, again, As if having national allegiance is somehow offensive to <laughs> right, right, Christianity. To Christian In no, fact, it's, it's the opposite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what you want to say is, look, if you conflate Jesus and the nation, yeah, you got a problem, right. If you conflate the church and, yeah, uh, but and, that's and, been the subject the, of our conversation already yeah that's right should you love should you have uh piety i mean that in the in the virtue sense piety towards your patria and the answer is yes it's part of the natural law it's part of the moral law you should you should honor your country you know honor those who went before you all that sort of thing um of course as i said you know don't conflate with the ultimate end Mm -hmm. but there is a real um kind of duty there uh to love one's country well because Um, as we discussed earlier right uh, if you didn't have it, you'd really be in trouble. Now, you may say that your country <laughs> yeah. isn't perfect. That it, that's of course, yeah, needs, yeah, that's right. right? We, yeah. we, in fact, we 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 just discussed. We we know your country's never going to be perfect. That's right. Be better or worse. <laughs> that's right. And yeah, maybe you yeah. wish it were a lot better. But mm-hmm. if you didn't have it at all, mm-hmm. right, you'd be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So if we kind of go back just to my way of review here. We want to oppose the responsibility of a Christian, oppose utopianism, oppose imitized eschatology, right? Mm-hmm. On the positive side, promote and advance, you know, religious liberty, um, the rights of parents, traditional family, patriotism, property rights, those sorts of things, right? That's where I think that our responsibility lies. Um, does that make sense? It does. So I, the conclusion I'm drawing is Christians do have political responsibility we Mm. should 
actually involve ourselves within certain limits, perhaps. Yeah. In politics. That's right. Yeah, I think so. And and if you want to say, hey, I want to do more, great. You know, mm-hmm. become a missionary, uh, work for the poor, collect extra canned goods. I mean, there is this huge yeah, part of go society. To yeah, it's called civic society, right? In, right. In, in political philosophy, and that's where churches and um, and you know, sort of um, you know, sort of other communities or uh, volunteer organizations, you know, uh, Boy Scouts of America, all that kind of all that stuff exists, right? Go forth. <laughs> right? Yeah, that and, more should be done do is it. not is not the same as the government should do more. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, the reason for that, uh, to some degree, is and this is maybe we have, should have brought this forward earlier, but just maybe kind of start wrapping up with this. That you know, the Saint Paul tells us right that the you know the king, the prince, the magistrate, however you want to put it exactly, doesn't bear the sword in vain. He bears the sword, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And 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 you know, and he is interesting. He is the minister of God, right? Uh, in a sense, right? Not in a strong priesthood sense, but is an instrument of God. Um, we don't want to, you know, government is actually something that that is part of the natural law, something that has been given to us for our good and for our benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it <laughs> its primary instrument, though, is the sword. Yeah. Right. I right. mean, that's what really distinguishes it. And, and I don't want to put down the sword uh, in the sense of like, say it's, it's evil. There are times when the sword needs to be used and the times when the threat of the sword needs to be used, but also we obviously want to be very circumspect, right? Well, uh, if I'm giving canned goods at the end of a sword, that's called theft. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, God has blessed us, I think with an order in which, there are a variety of authorities and there are a variety of kind of overlapping uh, and hierarchically arranged communities. Government and political community is a great blessing um, in a lot of ways um, and should be used well, but there are many others as well, right? Mm -hmm. And we want to be very careful not to expect from human law what we should not expect. But then on those things that we do, right? uh, No should belong to human law. We do want to insist on them, right? And again, those are the things like you know the liberty to worship God, you know, um, honoring parents, uh, protecting property rights, those sorts of things. And if if the government doesn't do that, who else is going to? What other community does? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's when you get in a really bad shape, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh-huh. You know, uh, when it, when it all falls apart, you know. Um, but I think right. at least, I mean, there's more to be said, of course, uh, yeah. Rich, you know, there's a lot more, but I think that that at least should kind of lay out some general parameters with which to think about the responsibility of a Christian citizen. Yeah, I think, I think that's great. I think, uh, I mean, we could have more conversations like this, right. Mm. And particularly dealing with some of the stickier uh, issues where, you know, you have to kind of look around the edges and see where the right answer lies. Mm-hmm. We didn't get into those kinds of those kinds of weeds here, but mm-hmm. um, but establishing the principles is essential before we can have such a discussion. And right. and really, I think many people today just don't even they're not clear on where on what those principles are. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. because they haven't been taught to make the distinction between what's the job of this community or that community. Right. Within. Right. Those of you in the audience, if you uh, if you like this discussion, don't for don't forget to like and subscribe and hit notifications and share our content we really appreciate it 
Thanks for joining us.